First of all, let me tell you this about the noise. The only noise that matters to this franchise and this team is the noise inside this building and this room. Side to 10. Double coverage, and he come down with that football. He did. Brandon Cooks. Ingram, left side. Touchdown. This side. Enzo. Touchdown, Johnson. Breaks a tackle. Throwing on the run and overthrew it and intercepted. Picked off by Justin Reed. Throwing and intercepted again. At the 25-yard line, that's Hargreaves. Hargreaves to the 10. In the pocket. Moves out. Going for it all downfield. It is caught inside the 10-yard line by Brandon Cooks. Taylor to throw. Coming over the middle. The catch is made in the touchdown. Danny Amendola under pressure. Got rid of it. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. And the Texans are 1-0. and um, I didn't think we'd be saying that this week necessarily, but joined this week by somebody acutely placed to talk about both teams in the 37-21 win is a man who played for both sides, uh, Mr. Seth Payne. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. It's, uh, I'm excited to be on in Britain. I was, uh, I was on with the BBC last year, and it was like the thrill of my grandmother's life. If there's any, anything with a British accent, she thinks I've made it. That's it. <laughs> yeah, there's a cer- certain sort of connotations there, I suppose. But um, yeah, um, week one, I suppose it was probably threw up more surprises than it has done in a long time. I saw a tweet this morning that said eight underdogs when won this week, the first time in 35 years, the most underdogs won in their opening game. Um, and your experience, Seth, you've been a lot of teams. Does week one mean a huge amount always? Um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't always. Obviously, a lot of times uh, there's there's upsets every year. I think the most notorious one was when, I remember the Bills beat the the Patriots in the opening week, like just a throttling of over a decade ago. And that didn't end up being consequential in the year. I do think that this year for the Texans, given how much drama there's been surrounding the team, and given that I think a lot of the outside drama, the the non-football drama, seeped into people's analysis of how the team was going to be, I think it was probably important. And whether I mean whether it was important for the fans or the players themselves or the coaches or the organization, I think it was important to just maybe get back and remember, oh yeah, this is ultimately about just playing football at the end of the day. Yeah. And the, the Texans have a whole bunch of veteran players on their team that, that know how to play football. And I suppose my overriding kind of thought was it just felt a little bit there was just a little bit sense of loss, I think, isn't there? Because you've obviously got the most talented player you've probably ever had in the fr- franchise history kind of lurking in the background. Uh, more reports and more kind of Schefter kind of tweets out in the game day morning trying to fill the space and keep pushing that agenda. But it just kind of felt like, you know, when you saw how well that team were coached and, and what they achieved versus the teams we've had prior who have had far greater talent but just weren't as coached as well. And it just kind of felt a bit, yeah, you just felt we've we left a lot out there in the last few years. It does... I guess I'm trying not to think about what might have been because yeah. uh, if, if you think about the, the Bill O'Brien era was so much about, I think, trying to out scheme people, um, trying to create this beautiful machine of an offense that 
when you when you don't execute it properly is exactly the opposite. It ends up feeling herky jerky. It ends up feeling um, like almost I, I guess staccato would be the word that comes to mind when I when I think of like a Bill O'Brien win, even a lot of the convincing ones, they never seemed quite as methodical, as organized, as disciplined is the way the Texans offense looked yesterday. And yeah, it, it's, it's impossible not to wonder what what Deshaun Watson might look like in this offense and exactly how he do. Um, and it, I, I guess in my mind, it's that now that we've been through an entire offseason of this and now that it looks like the organization's committed to trading Deshaun, I think psychologically I've kind of moved into that territory of, hey, at some point you're probably going to get multiple high draft picks for Deshaun Watson. You know, there's there's a whole realm of possibilities for what might happen. But if if Casario knows what he's doing, that you can do something with those draft picks and maybe you find your quarterback in the future um, in that. And it is a different era now where you don't necessarily need the, the the top five draft pick guy to pan out to be a competitive team. That's where. So I'm, I'm part delusional and partly just kind of psychologically moved on from Deshaun. And what was your sense? I saw you tweeting out a picture of the uh, voodoo donuts from the press, from the press <laughs> box there. Um, what did you, like, did you get a feel for the, uh, for the sentiment in the crowd? Because I, I spoke to somebody on FaceTime during the game or just as it started and uh, there was a lot of empty seats, I think, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. And it, it's hard. You know, with Houston sports, it's hard because all of our stadiums are empty at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Even when the teams are really good, I, it filled in somewhat. I think the biggest sense I got because we do a pregame show down in the south end zone there um, at Bud Light Plaza before the game. So I get to talk to a lot of listeners and fans before the game. In the, in the preseason game, I met five different people who were first-time season ticket holders. So that was interesting. Yeah. That, um, because we know the season ticket holder wait line had been 10, 20,000 strong forever. This year, they got down to zero. Their People's yeah. n- numbers came up. Some people took advantage of it to, I, I, I guess you'd say they're buying low right now. Um, and then obviously, the other people that have had season tickets or were buying single game tickets to so this one. I think there's a, there, there are a lot of people that are just flat out diehard fans. They're going to be committed to going to the football game no matter what. And whether they're whether you want to call them long suffering or they're in it for the long haul or what have you, th- that's what you have. And I think the the crowd kind of self-selected for those people. It wasn't a, it wasn't, it wasn't the kind of crowd that's going to be booing anybody at the first sign of adversity or anything, because I think the expectations are so low. So I guess that, that becomes a huge question is just where, where is the general fan base, the people that chose not to go to the game or have checked out completely I, I can't really get a sense for them because they've checked out completely. Yeah. No, I, I just, it's funny, isn't it? Because you go from having, you know, thousands of people want to give you money um, and you manage to erode that equity with people in such a short space of time. It's, uh, I suppose, that Sunday was the first time we'd actually see it manifest itself in, in real terms and what, you know, how many bodies actually showed up. Well, and the, and the huge irony of all of that is that, you know, I think there was a perception when Bob McNair was the owner that, there was a perception amongst fans that the team didn't want to spend really big, that it was more about making money, um, that it was more about the business side than actually winning championships. I thought that was partially unfair, just in that the Texans, the Texans weren't stingy, um, but they certainly weren't exorbitant spenders. But then last year, they spent like crazy. And, and Cal McNair, 
you know, and this being the change, Cal McNair has been really willing to spend. Now it's, it's errantly at times, uh, yeah. and, but they've spent a lot of money on the facilities. They spent a lot of money on players last year. And a lot of those were just bad contracts that Bill O'Brien doled out. Um, I, yeah. So I, I, it's unfortunate from a business standpoint that Cal McNair finally really, really spent money. And if anything, it's the, it's the very thing that disenfranchised a lot of fans. And now they're suffering on the business side. I do think that McNair is very open to continuing to be aggressive um, spending. I think he's going to be different than Bob McNair in a lot of respects. It's just a matter of, okay, is it going to be, is it going to be wise? Is it going to be, is it going to be Nick Casario, you know, taking it easy and being frugal and careful with the money all the time? It it seems like that it will be the Danny Amendola signing, you know, was uh, battle red blog. Matt Weston had said that the difference between Bill O'Brien and Nick Casario is that Bill O'Brien would have given Danny Amendola like a three year, $8 million per year contract. Uh, and I think there's some truth in that. Yeah. When you sign Randall Cobb and you're already paying Kenny Stills $8 million to walk out on you halfway through the year, I think it's uh, it's kind of, yeah, it probably kind of sums up that that year's um, cash flow spending for the team. Um, in terms of, I suppose, that it's, it's week one, um, Urban Meyer cut a sorry figure, I think, out there. Um, he didn't look comfortable. Um, I don't even know yeah. if he knew who the Texans were prior, uh, <laughs> to be honest. He seemed like kind of out of, out of water a little bit, but... It was, it, yeah, I just, it seemed like a, a performance that albeit they took the opportunities they were given, that, you know, they turned the ball over four times, but you're not going to get that every week. And I suppose that's the consideration we've all got to kind of probably take in the next week, particularly um, that that was a team probably not prepared to play. And we were, I think, and that was a big difference. They were so unprepared. I was, I was really shocked. And I guess I shouldn't have been. Um, just because no matter how smart a college coach is, there's going to be parts of the NFL that are just different, especially when you've been you've been in the college game your entire career. Clock management is different in college. You know, the two minute drill in college is just so much easier. You've got so much more time yeah. than you do in the NFL that I, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised that Urban Meyer burned all his timeouts early on, but that he was also playing with a rookie quarterback. And I, I think when you get to the substitution errors, the all these procedural penalties, um, you know, most it seemed like more penalties were procedural penalties, illegal formations, uh, false starts, all that stuff. than there were actual aggressive during the course of play penalties. I, um, I, I think that the Texans veteran composition showed up there. They're, they're, they're the fourth oldest team in the NFL. They're the, the oldest offense in the NFL, which shocks a lot of people, as it should. But that's what Casario did. He went out and he got veteran players. Those are the kinds of guys that can just flat out. It it sounds boring to say, but sometimes making fewer mistakes in the game is the key to winning a football game. And they clearly made way fewer mistakes. Like David Culley, I give complete and total credit for entrusting his coordinators to to go about their business and Cully being like a genuine head coach that doesn't have his hands in everybody's cookie jar. He's just trying to, he's, he's making sure that everybody's in the right mindset, that the clock management, that the game management, all of those things he can focus on because he's got coordinators that he trusts. So that I, maybe the biggest shock was that, yeah, David Cully looked like the better head coach out there. His team was better prepared to play than urban Myers was. Yeah, I mean, beyond the the scenes of the sort of awkward uh, tongue tune that he seems to do as a nervous habit, I think when he knows he's on the when he's on the broadcast. But he, um, I, I suppose, it, the, the the big change in Tim Kelly is that 
you know, he, he, he comes away from Bill O'Brien, who's probably the only coach, well, he is the only coach really that he's ever been sitting in behind. And I thought yesterday the offence looked good, multiple tight end sets. There was, you know, a couple of back, uh, two backs in the backfield regularly. Um, and the red zone packages, the thing that we've been horrendous at for the last few years, were really good. Um, and I suppose, I suppose, what do you think that boils down to? Just, just literally the rain's coming off Tim Kelly because it, it looks, you know, much, much better and much more creative. I think that there are a couple things. This is one, especially in the red zone, it's hard to have a good red zone offense without a good rushing attack. Yeah. And whenever the Texans have had a good rushing attack, it's been more about volume than actually looking like a good rushing offense. And there's a few elements to that. I, I Let me say, I'll say three things. One, I think Mark Ingram, Mark Ingram is the dependable, tough, smart player that Bill O'Brien thought he was looking for, but he just didn't seem to be able to identify dependable, yeah. tough and smart players. Like he's a, he's a 31 year old guy. He's going to be 32 um, who just, he grinds out yardage. So I think that's and he and he's got a nose for the hole. He's got a nose for the line of scrimmage. So there's that the offensive line blocking itself. It, let's see. I want to be sure I say this right. The, the blocking and the coaching is better to the point that they can withstand having one bad block during a run play. Like there were uh, Ingram's first touchdown run. I think it was Max Sharping. Max Sharping had a bad snap on that, but it didn't matter because everything else was good. Yeah. Like the, you're never going to have the perfect football. If you have the perfect play, then that's when you have a 30 yard run. You know, um, you're never going to have a perfect play. Guys are going to screw up. But if everybody else is doing exactly the right thing, then a running back like Mark Ingram can can score a touchdown. And I think that's where the difference is. If you just kind of step back and watch the offense, offensive line work, watch their footwork in unison, their the timing on their combo blocks, all of that, it just looks crisper. And then the third thing in the rushing attack would be, I think Tyrod Taylor, A, can still run the ball. And B, um, I think he's got a... If you watch him work in the backfield with his fakes, with his handoffs, with all of that, there's there's a certain level of competence um, and, and a veteran savvy there that goes beyond just his ability to run the ball. Uh, I, I think yeah. he just executes... The, the option game, the RPO game, everything else well enough that it, it makes it that much tougher on the even. So the threat of the threat of Tyrod Taylor as a running quarterback, but also just his ability to, to deceive in the backfield, the sleight of hand in the backfield, that helps a lot. Yeah, because I suppose but what we've not seen, and it is the same playbook. I don't know if you've noticed huge tendency breakers, but um, I think that was always the criticism of, of that offense was there was just, as you said, they probably tried too hard to get it to work, but there was never any layups. There was never any easy yards. And we actually saw that. And most of it was to the boundary. Um, but, you know, you saw a lot of kind of easy easy yards and and, and and keeping them on the field. And I suppose the formula for this offense this season is going to be running the ball and continuously running the ball, but then also, you know, the short to intermediate stuff. So based on the, the run block improvement, do you think that's sustainable then in this season? I suppose, because we're going to come up a lot better fronts than, than, than right. what Jacksonville brought to town. And I think that'll be the test. But do you think that's just... Do you, with the bodies they've got up front, and I know they were rotating at the at right tackle with working Cannon back in, and I thought Gary and Christian was serviceable again. He seems to be a good pickup. Um, do, do, do you think they've, they've got the formula there to that, or is it, or do you think is there a potential they come unstuck when they come up against better fronts who can control the line a bit? 
Yeah, I guess that's that's the question is, what are our standards and what are we hoping for? You know, is that, yeah. are they going to go up and are they going to run the ball on a team like the Bucks or the Steelers or something? I don't I don't think this is the year that that's going to happen. I think that some of the improvements in execution are very sustainable. The big X factor is still what's Max Sharping going to do? How's Titus Howard going to or excuse me, how is um How's Charlie Heck going to look when he comes in and starts playing? Like these are the, these are the big questions, really. I think they can continue to improve and get better over time. The other big X factor, though, and this comes a question is okay, how do they do over time? I don't. Mark Ingram getting twenty five carries a game isn't the formula. No, yeah. he, he's never had more than two hundred and thirty carries in a season. It's one of the reasons he's healthy to the point that he is now. Unless I looked up the stats wrong, but I believe two hundred thirty is the most carries he's ever had in a season. So. At some point, they're going to have to start moving towards Philip Lindsay, David Johnson, and and how can those guys do? I just I flat out like Mark Ingram better as a running back than those guys um, for everything that Texans want to do. He's thirty one years old, yeah, yeah. so uh, that that's not sustainable. But some of these other guys are going to have to show improvement. Yeah, I think so because I think Philip Lindsay is probably under underwhelmed. I think to this stage, you've not quite seen the seen the same kind of you know angry runner i suppose that he, you know they made his name as an undrafted free agent in colorado so yeah i, I think there's, there's 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 a concern i think in terms of can you run the ball but then I, there was i think it was the first run um with the absence of actually seeing the old 22 because i don't think it's come out yet or even is available with game pass this year um i don't really hey what is going on with game pass well, yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not paid for it because I'm. I'm trying to find out first before <laughs> before I do. Okay. But, um, well, the, let me yeah. tell you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you from my perspective. Okay, yeah. you can't. You can't look up unless they're going to update it later today. And so I, I was giving them a pass during the preseason, but man, you can't look up specific plays within games. The actual just functionality of it is is all off like, to right. to where you even fast forwarding and rewinding and everything. I, I to anybody listening if you're thinking about it just wait a second until the <laughs> until some of these yeah. hiccups are cured. Well, yeah, because I mean, I think I always think on the broadcast, you probably see, you know, 20, 25 percent of it with the camera angle. And actually, you see so much more with that, with, yeah. the, with that angle. Um, but yeah, it was just that the first run and all five linemen came up and whether it was the first level, or the second level had a block. And I don't think we've been used to seeing that. And I, you know, I was going to screenshot it just because I think the execution has been pretty poor um on on that side of the ball but yeah i mean long may that can continue 37 points you know you'll take it every week right it's uh it's not been yeah. often we've been in that, that level of efficiency i don't think in offense that, right uh, you know that's the best thing i can say about that game is it's it's easy to discount it and you should i mean it's the first game you don't want to get ahead of yourself or anything but at the very least you made a bad team look bad which not everybody does. It's not yeah. so easy. Even the, even the good teams sometimes struggle to make bad teams look bad. You know, we've, we've seen that with the Astros all year long. Yeah. They have a hard time making bad teams look bad. So I, I think in comparison to what Bill O'Brien did for so many years, I think a lot of people just found it refreshing to just go out and actually physically dominate and mentally dominate an opponent. And I, I don't care if they're good, bad, whatever. Um, it's not it's not that easy to do in the NFL. And they're the Texans are further ahead from they're further ahead than I think a lot of people who kind of just casually dismiss them as the worst team in the league. I don't know where they end up. I don't know if they end up being the the 25th worst uh, or 25th best team in the league or maybe a little bit better than that or what have you. Um, but there, there's, there's certainly reason to think they can at least compete within football games. If not stack up a whole bunch of wins, they can be competitive. 
Yeah, because I think it's a strange composition of a roster. You said it's it's, it's it's turned out to be old, I suppose, and the current CB has effectively eradicated a lot of these guys' roles in the league because it's been built to you know to, to, to lean clubs towards the rookie class so um, and build that way on cheap talent, especially when you've got a quarterback paid. But I think it's an interesting formula, and we'll see if it works or not. But I suppose the, 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 the output of it is it delays... The, the, the rebuild is but we're probably in a reset right now because a lot of these guys won't be here and they won't be worth the money you'll need to pay them in two or three years time uh, but one guy we did pick up last year um and Pharaoh Browner is do you think he's the real deal because he, he, he improved every week last year and he's probably the first time we've had a guy who's probably a dual threat blocking you know and pass blocking and, and, and catching it right yeah, yeah look that that Mark Ingram touchdown that we're talking about there he he played that H-back or fullback slash tight end role or whatever you want to call it um, really, really well. I think that uh, I like I, I hesitate to lean on the cliches of dependable, tough, smart, competitive, all that stuff. But I think it's clear that Nick Casario has a type. And it's not like he didn't find Pharaoh Brown, but I think he had to you know make the decision to, to stick with him. Um, I think that those kinds of players if you look at what the Patriots have been able to do with them, if you got, if you find guys that are just eager to do a lot of the things that other people aren't, especially at slot receiver and tight end, you can get a lot done with those guys. And it's very economical. So I think that Pharaoh Brown, Pharaoh Brown by his willingness and eagerness to block um, and then to, to be a bright guy on top of that, he's probably found himself a role on the team for at least the next couple of years. But I think you're right. When, when it comes to, what this looks like now, how you might be a more competitive football team right now, it, it it's it's hard not to think about, oh, yeah, but where do you go from here? Yeah. Like, what do you do with all these guys who are on one-year contracts, some of whom maybe you pay and, and extend and keep around, but you're still going to have to replace all those other guys? That's where I, I suppose a little bit of a leap of faith comes in if you're if you're just being a fan. If you're just – if you're trying not to super analyze everything and you're just being a fan – you just got to hope that Nick Casario is the real deal in that his plan, which is a little bit like the Patriots did when Belichick first got there. It's a little bit like what Pete Carroll did when he first got to the Seahawks. It's just to an extreme degree where you have so much turnover and you have so many veteran players. You have to you have to have the faith or you can have the faith or try to have the faith that Casario is going to slowly swap these guys out for some younger players, some top end talent players. But then I think moving forward, it is also there's probably going to be an element of your team that's always veteran players on one year contracts. I think I think he likes having that built in hunger, um, that yeah. built in drive that guys have like the like I don't care who you are when you're when you're on a one year deal, you're a little bit more desperate. You're a little bit more nasty than if you got a, a, a nice cushy contract. Yeah. And I suppose we flip on to the other side of the ball. Um, was any I suppose I didn't think necessarily when I first watched that the pass rush was 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 there, but um, the more I watched it back, you could kind of see that there was a sort of level of containment. I think rather than anything else, I think I'm sure you tweeted something out like that as well. I remember reading that during the game. So the you know there was the more the more you kind of saw it. I I I, I suppose the concern at that front, and I think that there is some flash a lot. Ross Blacklock flashed a couple of times. He almost got a couple of sacks. Um, caused an incompletion on a third down in the third quarter and stuff like that. So, you know, you saw improvement from those guys. Um, but I suppose that the concern is the run defence because you're going to have a big, big test of that in Cleveland next week. So that's really going to see where these guys are. Um, and I, and I, I don't know how consistently 
they're going to be able to you know manufacture enough pressure up front. But just for before rush, it looks like they need more bodies in there to to create that. But what did you think of the the, the front uh, and just the schematics that Lovey tried to call in general? I think yeah, I think you've got it. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, I think that versus good quarterbacks and versus good offenses, you could see the holes and the gaps in the defense yesterday that that uh, Trevor Lawrence just wasn't able to exploit. And I think that it's going to be a little bit of an uphill climb versus the teams like the Browns. I think that so I've been trying to look at the defense as, all right, how are they going to be compared to last year? Are they uh, the, last year? They were a, a bottom three defense. When it comes to the pass rush, I think overall, the biggest difference yesterday was that there were so many fewer instances of the quarterback just sitting back there forever with no rush whatsoever. You know, that, that, okay, ideally you want somebody screaming off the edge that's winning a one-on-one and then wins fast, and that's how you stack up a whole bunch of sacks and tackles for losses and all of that. I don't know if they have the guys on that roster to do that. But the overall athletic ability, the overall speed, the overall pass rushing ability, if you look at your top six pass rushers, I think is way better than the overall pass rushing ability of last year. We still had a lot of stodgy guys. You had a lot of Brandon Dunn type guys um, on the field at times. You just you don't have those guys to put out there anymore. So I think just being able to actually get push up the middle, being able to guys win at times on the edge is going to be better. My big concern, my big concern from yesterday was that you could see where the holes in a zone defense, like the classic yeah. holes in yeah. zone were there. Trevor Lawrence couldn't exploit it, but Baker Mayfield will. Um, so I, I think there's, you need a jump from week one to week two, where hopefully the guys in the defensive backfield can, can be a little snappier on recognizing things. Um, the linebackers can be a little snappier in their, in their zones. Uh, maybe Pierre Lewis is, better than Grugier Hill. I, I don't know at this point, um, but if he's back and healthy, that's that's where you're going to have to be. I do think I do think that the ability to create turnovers is real. Um, I think just by scheme and by execution and by focus by Lovey Smith, that's where versus teams like the Browns, you're going to have to come up big in that regard. I, yeah. I think I like. I think they'll have some bad series, multiple bad series versus the Browns. The question is going to be, okay, can you can you force a couple turnovers? Can Tyrod Taylor continue to protect the ball? Then you got a shot. And you know we knew that going into this season. That's going to be the formula. If you're if you're going to beat good teams, it's going to have to involve turnovers, like it like it is for every team in the NFL. Yeah, and I suppose they will swing games in your favor. And there was you know a couple of layups. They didn't you know they didn't actually turn. Um, all all of those turnovers into sixes, but um, there's definitely there's definitely I, I suppose a concern that you know that, that it's almost a statistical anomaly at times turnovers because you can you can get a lot um you know very quickly and then you can go you know three or four games without any. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a, that's the problem with turnovers, and it's not a problem with turnovers. But you're right about the consistency of it because yeah. I think you can look. It's luck as to whether you recover a fumble. Sometimes it's luck whether it you know who comes down with the tipped ball. Forcing the opportunities, you have some control over that. Pass rush helps a lot, but guys aggressively going after the ball matters too. Um, so at least forcing the fumble, you have some control over. But you're right that in, in any specific game, it's not like you can go into a game and say like, well, okay, we plan on getting three turnovers in this game. Yeah. You could beat the snot out of a team and not get three turnovers. So it's yeah. a, it's a, it, it, it works out really well in the regular season, but it was the Bears even before 
it was even before Lovey Smith got to the Bears. It was when Dick Turan was the head coach um, during one spell. They were really, really good at turnovers. But then you get to the playoffs, and if you try to, you got to win four games in the playoffs. And if part of your formula is winning the turnover margin, you're, you're just not going to do it four times in a row, not to an extreme degree. And and in terms of the linebackers, do you think uh, and and they and they laboured the hell out of this on the broadcast? But obviously the, the guys were coming up, filling the double A gaps, then backing off um, to, to to try and you know put a bit of pressure on a young guy. And I don't know you know where that influence came from. If that's always a Lovey Smith thing, but I think when when the it, it, it seemed great at the time, but as you said that you know there's the, there's the obvious gaps in in this zone coverage. And by the time you know you've got three guys who aren't good at pass coverage anyway, by the time they then back out of that, it feels like you're almost kind of baiting them into those short intermediate throws, which I don't think you're going to continue to get away with unless. You know, the guys up front can, you know, get home a bit quicker. But is that, do you right. think that's the biggest weakness with this, Lovey Smith? I think um, if, if that's what you end up majoring in, yeah. And t- offenses seem to get better and better at that now, you know, ever since, uh, ever since defense has really started just putting everybody up at the line of scrimmage to, to, to disguise their looks. There are a couple elements to that. One is just how well do you disguise it? Um, because, you know, everybody's got to tell. And a linebacker, a defensive back, whoever, quarterbacks start to get pretty good at figuring out who's actually blitzing and who's not. Yeah. And, and when everybody's out, sometimes it's a, it's, it ends up working against you, not just because of the coverage issues, but because if you've got a lot of guys with a lot of tells, then the quarterbacks know exactly what's coming when you're trying to, when you're trying to deceive them. So there's that. I do think that Lovey... Lovey's probably going to blitz more than a lot of us expect him to. Okay. He didn't have to versus the Jaguars, but you saw as much as I thought Urban Meyer burned his timeouts earlier, he's lucky he did because on that one that one defensive back blitz where there was a timeout uh, right before the snap, I mean, Trevor Lawrence might have lost his kidneys on that play um, because that was an actual blitz. So I think that I think that versus a quarterback where they get into a situation where they need to blitz, I think he'll be I think he'll be willing to do that a little bit. So that's what I'm that's what I'm looking forward to seeing in the Cleveland game is how really has this defense changed? I don't I think they stayed pretty vanilla intentionally versus a rookie quarterback. Hmm. Um in th- this week we might see a little bit more, I don't want to say exotic, necessarily creative, but a little bit more of a diverse defense. Yeah, and, and based on Sunday and everything you've seen in training camp, and maybe obviously some of the stuff, the vast majority of stuff in training camp, you'd hope didn't see the field in preseason. But has your opinion changed on this team in terms of the chances and where you think it'll end up? Um, it might. I, you know, I've been saying before the Eric Murray trade, I had been saying that I thought the ceiling was you know six, seven, maybe eight wins. If if, if they had a bunch of turnovers on their side, you could was get it, seven it, or that eight. That wasn't wins. a Freudian slip, was it? It was. Eric Murray. What did I say? Eric Murray, no. Bradley Roby, you mean? Oh, Ariel yeah. Bradley Roby. Yeah. <laughs> You've Bradley not heard Roby. someone, have you? No, <laughs> I haven't heard anything about Eric Murray, no. Um, Bradley Roby, the Bradley Roby trade. The only thing I worried about with Bradley Roby was, uh, okay, is this the beginning of some kind of a fire sale? Are they going to just start yeah. trading everybody away? I think that there was a reason. I, I, I just don't, I think that maybe Casario didn't think that Bradley Roby was the Texans type of guy. Yeah. And, you know, we could have a whole nother discussion about whether or not they should, uh, that, that should be his opinion, but I don't think they're just going to start trading off any starters. So um, I would probably stick to where I still think their high end is six or seven wins. Yeah. I gave him an over under of four wins um, on the year. I'll revise it. If, they end up looking really competitive versus the Browns. Then, yeah. then I'll say, okay, I was probably wrong on that, and I'll I'll revise it. But right now, I'm so, I'm going to stick with four wins because I think there are some weaknesses there, um, and there's some there's some tendencies that 
they they still have to show their hand on. So, uh, but I'm I'm cautiously hoping that I was way off on that. Yeah, well, I think I said I suppose that Sunday was a game that they thought you thought they might have a chance to win. Um, yeah. The Browns isn't one of those, but we'll you know we'll we'll see where we end up, and there is another couple of those um, on the schedule. But um, Seth, thank you very much for your time today. I know you got a flight to catch, so um, appreciate it. Um, hey, my yeah. yeah. My pleasure, man. Next time I'll stay on for an hour. I'm sorry. I've, I got I to gotta beat this damn storm that's bearing down on Houston. All right. Okay. Another one. Yeah. No, 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 that's yeah. Never ended. yeah another one. It's one of our it's one of our annual 500 year weather events. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, thanks right, very thanks, much bud. for your time, Seth. And uh, I'll, I'll keep in touch and I'll hopefully let's do it again sometime. Nice meeting you, bud. Appreciate it.